Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyer, your host. So we are two Sundays past Resurrection Sunday, Pascha. And in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, that means that we focus on the women, sometimes called the ointment-bearing women or the myrrh-bearing women who came to the tomb. Remember that story in the resurrection stories in the Gospels. The women dutifully, prayerfully, and with a certain fear and trepidation and confusion, bewildered, came nonetheless courageously to anoint the body of Jesus, thinking the body was still there. But of course, they found out that the body had resurrected. Now, in the Eastern liturgical practice, what we do through liturgy is we immerse ourselves into the reality of the event, as only liturgy can do. And in this event, what we do is we focus on certain, as we often do in liturgy, we focus on certain characters, not just Jesus, well, that certainly would be sufficient, of course. <laughs> but we focus also on the other characters in the drama. And I use the term drama, not because it's a play, like, you know, that it's not real. But there is a drama, there is a narrative, there is a story, there is an event that occurred once and for all that we enter into through liturgy. We look at the women this particular Sunday. Last Sunday, remember, we looked at St. Thomas. This was actually one of the post-resurrection appearances by Christ. But here we're back at the tomb again. We're looking at the women, but also we're going to add Joseph of Arimathea to this. Now, what's significant about this actually is a number of things that are significant. But the most significant question that the women at the tomb invite us to focus on in our own selves is what is our relationship to the body of Christ? You notice in a lot of liturgical texts and the theme today is a focus on the body of Christ. Remember, Joseph of Arimathea was the one who came to ask Pilate for the body of Christ and how he took it down with such reverence and buried it in a virginal tomb. In the liturgical text, listen to these words. O Lord, who clothes yourself with light as with a garment, 
Joseph and Nicodemus took you down from the cross and sing you without life, without a garment, without a grave. In their compassion, they wept and lamented. Woe is me, most sweet Jesus. The sun was covered with darkness when it saw you suspended upon the cross. The earth quaked with fear and the veil of the temple was torn in two. I see that you willingly endured death for my sake. How then shall I bury you, O my God? With what linen shall I cover you? With what hand shall I touch your most pure body? What hymn shall I sing at your death? Therefore, O compassionate Lord, I glorify your passion, and I praise your burial and your resurrection, crying out, O Lord, glory to you. Now, these words, of course, would be sung to a very beautiful chant. But the point of the words, though, is we step into Joseph as he looks upon the body with great reverence. But not only that, he looks upon it and he approaches it with a great deal of courage, a great deal of faith. He had no concern for his own welfare. We have to remember now, this is a Jewish man, a prominent Jewish man who comes to Pilate, who had Christ crucified. He comes to the Roman leaders who allowed such a thing to happen, the crucifixion of Christ. He comes to them. And remember, remember how Peter denied Christ three times? I mean, let's face it, they were on the warpath against Christians in that moment and followers of Jesus. So Joseph comes at night to Pilate, and he does so, therefore, with great courage and great faith. Why would he do such a thing? Except for the fact that he had great reverence for the body of Christ. Why did the women get up early? In fact, it was still dark. Why would women go out at night? Why would they go out in the dark? They ordinarily would not have done that. And with heavy alabaster jars full of ointment, those ointments, you know, they weighed a lot. And you had, you had to have quite a bit of them to cover Christ's body. They just didn't, like, touch it with the ointment. They, they anointed, they covered his body with those fragrant ointments. So they were heavy. And these women were risking their lives as well. They were going out at night, and they were confused. They were frightened. They were bewildered. They didn't know what they were about to see. They, didn't, they weren't assured of Christ's resurrection. They didn't understand, like the apostles. They did not understand what Christ meant when he said, the Son of Man will suffer, but on the third day rise again. They didn't get that. So there they were also, like Joseph, with this great reverence for the body of Christ. Why that body? And why, in their example of these women and Joseph, is it put before our eyes in the church? Because that body of Christ would be the very body whose footsteps Eve heard in paradise. That body belonged to Jesus, who was man and God. That body would be the temple that would be destroyed and rebuilt in three days, as Christ predicted. His own body now becomes that temple. Remember, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil on the temple that separated from the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn in two. And again, we look at the details. It was torn in two, not from bottom to top, but specifically the Gospels say from top to bottom, which once again is a bit of a proof text that this could not have been done by somebody in a contrived way. Well, we're going to rip this and make this real dramatic and try to force everybody to believe about the death of Christ, that it was so incredible that the temple veil tore. No, the temple veil tore of its own from top to bottom, which means human beings couldn't get up there and tear it. 
Jesus' body now becomes not only the temple, but it becomes that veil as well. We read about that in the epistle to the Hebrews. His flesh becomes that temple. His flesh becomes that veil that is now torn in two. And by being torn in two, what happened when the veil was torn? There was no longer a barrier between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the temple. Christ had taken away the barriers that precluded and prevented those who had died from actually entering heaven. Remember, until Christ paid the ransom, until he died on the cross, did the battle with Satan in Hades and broke the bonds of death, until that, no one could get to heaven. You have to remember that. Heaven was not open to anyone yet. So Christ breaks that barrier. As it is broken in the temple, as a veil tears, so his body is torn, and he breaks that barrier between the heaven, the temple of heaven, the true temple, the ultimate temple, and earth, between God and us. When we focus on Christ's body and we see that it becomes this temple, it becomes the veil, we also have to realize that Christ's body is also what we know today. What we can enjoy today is the Eucharist, and it is also the church. So the question that's put before us, now that we have entered into the resurrection, we celebrated Easter, we celebrated Pascha, but okay, so what? Well, it's not just a celebration. It's not just one day of a celebration or weekend, then we go back to humdrum and life as it always was. No, our entrance into that event, the fact that Christ died, means that things are changed. We're supposed to be changed. We're different, and we have to ask ourselves, how are we in relation to that body of Christ, which is the Eucharist and the church? You know, I could tell so much about you, about anyone, and you could tell so much about anyone and about me as well, if we just ask one question. What do we really believe, and how are we towards the Eucharist, the body of Christ? We saw this incredible reverence to the point of being courageous, faith-filled in Joseph and these women. So the question to us, as we are Joseph and the women, at least we're supposed to understand that, that we are that in the liturgy today. If we are them, then the question is, do we have a courageous and reverential understanding and approach to the Eucharist? Probably the biggest, I use the word problem or challenge in the church today, in our day and age, is the true belief and approach to the Eucharist, to the body of Christ, to its sanctity, to its total, total holiness and our unworthiness in contrast to that blessed, pure body. How we approach the Eucharist is something that has to be renewed in our day and age. And this is the perfect opportunity and why the church puts before our eyes these people from the Bible who had this reverence for the Eucharist. Our question has to be our own worthiness. How often do we go to confession to cleanse ourselves and make ourselves a worthy vehicle, though we can never be totally worthy, but we at least try to approach that through confession, the forgiveness of sins. How do we dress for church? Do we come to church earlier so we can pray and move into it, get into our liturgical mindset or liturgical soul set, (laughs) our liturgical heart set, 
What are we like when we leave church, when we apply, having received the Eucharist, having united ourselves with the temple of God, become one with him, partaken of his divine nature through Eucharist, how are we afterwards and from that point on? These are all very indicting questions, and it's why we look at people from the Bible who were there at the tomb, who had this great courage, faith, and reverence for the body of Christ. We're going to talk more about our relationship to the body of Christ when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. We're looking at our relationship to the body of Christ, inspired by the example, and not only the example, but actually becoming those ointment-bearing women, those myrrh-bearing women, and Joseph, who came to the tomb out of reverence and courage and faith for the precious body of Christ. And by the body of Christ today, we, of course, mean the Eucharist, the real presence of Christ that gives us a whole vision for life. It's not just about getting Jesus, receiving something. Yeah, that's a big part of it, but it's about being transformed and having our vision conformed to the vision of the Eucharist, of seeing all things new, all things holy, all things connected with God and living that way. And we also see ourselves in relation to the body of Christ, which is the church. And before I go any further, I just want to thank many of you who have listened, are listening, and who write to us. And we really appreciate your letters. And I have one recently from a listener. His name is Richard Pacheco. And Richard says that he and his mother listen every week on Immaculate Heart Radio, driving home after Mass on Sundays. And they're in the San Pedro area of California. And Richard also says this, I deeply appreciate your reminder about the church breathing with both lungs, east and west, because I know that however much the Latin liturgy and devotions are written on my heart, thank God, and in my thoughts, please God, (laughs) I have been blessed with the nourishment of the Eastern rites. 
Your program continues to bless me and all of your listeners of all Catholic traditions. Sincerely, Richard Pacheco. Thank you, Richard, for that beautiful letter. There were things he mentioned there too, but uh, I just wanted to mention those few points. Richard Pacheco from San Pedro, California, and his mother. Welcome and hello and thank you for writing to us and listening to us at Light of the East, especially during this marvelous time of the radiant resurrection. Hopefully, Richard, you and your mother and the rest of us are being like the myrrh-bearing women, the ointment-bearing women, not just now, today. See, today their example is put in front of us, but it's not something that is a one-day-only event. This is an example that we carry through every aspect of our life from here on out and forever at all times. It's that consciousness of the body of Christ, the precious body of Christ. I mentioned that the body of Christ is also the church, the Eucharist and the church. What is our relationship to the church? What is the relationship of our family members to the church? I know many families today are struck with the pain of having adult children who no longer are connected with church, with the body of Christ, even though they may have been born and raised in the church, gone to Catholic schools and so on. Many families have that heartache today. And so, again, this Sunday, as the women and and Joseph of Arimathea are put before us, we are asked, first of all, to look at our own relationship to the church, but also to invite others to renew their relationship to the church. There's certain things you can say to people, especially your adult children who may have drifted away or may have lots of doubts. Certain things that maybe never occurred to them in the way they see church, because that's, that's what's going on now. It's a time of renewal. Christ says, I make all things new, and that's what the resurrection is about. Let's renew our attitude towards church and invite others to. You can say things to them like, do you know why we go to church? It's not to get something out of it. Although we do, we need to go to church because God knows that we need. God knows that we need to. We don't think we do, but God knows because he made us. He knows what we need. We go, even though we do get something, it's not why we go. We go because God gets something out of it. He doesn't need anything from us, but he wants something from us because he loves us. He wants our heart. He wants our response of gratitude and praise to him for all the goodness he has given to us. He wants us to be united with him in union, like a marriage, like a husband and wife, an intimate union. So it is God, in a sense, who gets something out of our going to church. Also, going to church, being connected with church, the liturgy especially, is a way of being honest about life, about God. Do we not see God everywhere? Do we not know that it is He who gives us our breath, our life, our gifts? He gives us the sunrise the next day and the same sunset that evening, the moon, the stars. We had nothing to do with that. We had nothing to do with our own coming into being. Everything is God's. Everything comes from Him, as the Scripture says. Every good gift comes from above. The only sensible, honest response, respectable response to that is thanksgiving. And God told us how he wants to be thanked. Not because he's got an ego, because it is good for us. It is good for us to thank God in the specific way that we now know today as church. 
liturgy, Eucharist. God outlined it for us. He doesn't need our thanks. He doesn't need anything from us. But he wants it. He loves it. He prefers it. All we're doing is one day, although it should be more than one day, but one particular day, Sunday, that we come simply to say for a short time, an all too short time, thank you, God, for your glory and all you have done for us. Above all, for your resurrection, which has raised us up and given us a possibility, a hope of salvation. I mentioned that this Sunday features the women, and there's a lot of reasons why. And sometimes we also have to understand the reason why from a point of view of a kind of a sacramental understanding or viewpoint of womanhood, something that St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body would help us to understand. If we look at womanhood, we see that stamped in the very body, the physiology, the whole charism of womanhood is the gift of receptivity, the gift of, of connecting things together, of connecting people together, of closeness, of imminence. And that is precisely what happened when the women, not the men, the women went to the tomb in the early morning when it was still dark. Joseph asked for the body when Christ died. But the women went to the tomb in the early morning. And they were the first to receive, notice I use that word, receive the news of the resurrection. Because God, who created women, knew that they would receive the message faithfully. First, yes, astonished, but they didn't resist it. In their femininity, the genius of their own femininity, they received the reality. As hard as it was, as astonishing as it was, they received it from Christ. And Christ told them not to go to the world, the four corners of the earth, like he would tell the men, the apostles. He told the women, go first to the family, to home, to the community. Tell my apostles first. So you see right away that closeness, consistent with the whole physiology, language of womanhood, imminence, closeness, connectedness. God is using that to spread the message of his resurrection. Think of the Garden of Eden. The serpent, the fallen angel, came to the woman, not to Adam. He knew she had the gift of receptivity, and unfortunately, she received a bad seed from the fallen angel, from the serpent. Now, the women would receive from another angel, a good angel, the good message of the resurrection. And instead of taking in bad message, bad seed, a bad word, and thus profoundly affecting all humanity, the whole cosmos, to the negative, they would now receive this good word, this brilliant word, this renewing word, and they would take it to those around them, and in turn, it would be taken to the world, to do good in the world, to transform the world according to Christ's original plan of beauty, of love, of truth. It all had to do with the receptivity of womanhood. In the liturgical text for today, we say this in the Byzantine liturgy, the women prepared myrrh to anoint you and secretly came to your tomb early in the morning. They feared the boldness of the Jews and they expected the soldiers to be keeping guard. But their weakness triumphed over manly strength for tenderness finds favor with God. And so they cry out, Arise, O Lord, 
protect us and save us for the love of your name. It says, but their weakness triumphed over manly strength. Okay, what does that mean, their weakness, that women are weak? No. It means that they're not designed in the same way as men are in terms of acting upon the external environment, you know, going to war and fighting. Yes, women do fight, but it's not in the same way as men. Men are more equipped for that, the more, in a sense, called or destined for that particular kind of fighting, those to, to encounter the external world. Women are called more to encounter and to infuse life and goodness into the proximate world, the imminent world. And so their weakness is not weakness as we would see it. It'd be like their gentleness, their tenderness, as it later on says in the same text. Their weakness triumphed over manly strength, for tenderness finds favor with God. So in a sense, you could say that God favored women because of their tenderness. Tenderness finds favor with God. So it is very providential that God chose, once again, womanhood, to be the first recipients of the good news of life and of love. And from there, they would take it first to those closest to them. And those closest to them would eventually believe and receive it and then take it as you and I have to, to the whole world. Today and every day, we are the myrrh-bearing women and Joseph of Arimathea. And the question will always be, how are we? Thank you for listening to to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab. And on iTunes, Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. EWTN home video highlight for May is The Faith with Father Maurice. Father Maurice Emilou offers a unique perspective on the nature of faith and what it means to grow closer to the Lord. Order your DVD and companion book at EWTNRC.com 24 hours a day, 7 days a week or call 1-800-854-6316. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!